0: Hi, welcome to the Edinburgh Space Data Capital podcast. I'm Kim McAllister. I'm Murray
1: Collins, space lead at the Bay Centre. Yeah, I'm finding it a little bit uh, tough to concentrate today, recording, because we're experimenting with deadening the sound uh, recording in our own apartments by putting blankets over our head, which is making the call uh, slightly slightly unusual. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was this conference we we're organising on space satellites and sustainability for September. Now we have this ambition of becoming the space data capital of Europe, and as such, we think it's appropriate to organise a major international conference on the subject, And we're focusing on space satellites and sustainability for this. So sustainability, we're thinking about Earth applications. So the sustainability of agriculture, the sustainability of natural systems, and the technologies we can use to enable people to make better decisions on the ground. So we're going to have a range of people coming along from the engineers who create the sensors, the actual satellite platforms themselves, right through to the people who undertake the data analytics, and provide the decision-making tools at the very end of that processing chain. So very, very exciting opportunity, I think, to bring lots of people together. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. And I think it's kudos to you and your team that you're now hosting events like this, because obviously the word is getting out about our ambition in Edinburgh and the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. Just generally, people are beginning to understand more that Edinburgh is very much a space university, and we have this extraordinary breadth of expertise And pleasingly, people are already starting to listen to the podcast and say, wow, I didn't know that Edinburgh was a space university. I didn't understand previously that there was this breadth of expertise, both in the university, but in the surrounding uh, companies, wide variety of companies analyzing satellite data, building components for satellites, people developing their own missions a really exciting time so yeah what well, is it it's a good ride
0: <laughs> it's a good ride under a blanket in a house as we're all confined to home and trying to carry on
1: i i'm finding this yeah, increasingly hard to concentrate
0: <laughs> <laughs> come on let's do it let's do it for the podcast <laughs> we're doing it the
1: podcast we're doing the podcast exactly i'm sure we can professionalize the blanket overhead approach with a piece of kit But listen
0: any uh, sound engineer will tell you and you can you can laugh but this is how we get the best quality well, audio
1: okay we're in we're in safe hands then
0: uh, yep, yes we are. So today we're going to discuss agriculture, and we've mentioned forests, which is obviously the area that you're very knowledgeable about, but you've also got something to say about agriculture, I'm sure. Would you like to contextualise agriculture from space?
1: Yes, we, we spoke about forests previously, so we're still in the domain of Earth observation, so looking, looking down on Earth, but this time less of a concern with the uh, management of natural systems, we're concerned with looking at crop productivity and that we have this new uh, area of precision agriculture developing now where people are concerned with as we have increasingly we have limited resources how do we use those limited resources to increase the performance of agricultural land and ideally to do that in a sustainable way to feed a a growing population.
0: Yeah, and the first person we spoke to for this was Matt Williams, who has been doing some very cool work with drones and measuring crops and using sensors, which are also used on satellites. So let's bring in Matt.
2: Matthew Williams. I'm Professor of Global Change Ecology at the School of Geosciences at the University of Edinburgh.
0: And you're the Chair of the Global Change Ecology. Tell me about that.
2: When I first started, ecologists would often go to a pristine place to study ecology without people. So my PhD, I went and studied in the, uh, the forests of the Adirondacks in North America to find old-growth forests never touched by people. Wow. Which was wonderful, but of course, there's no such thing as an untouched ecosystem anymore. So global change ecology is, we're explicitly recognising that humankind is impacting every part, every ecosystem, every part of the globe. And we have to understand that. We have to think about people's role and people's livelihoods, of course, are important. Uh, But everything we do individually and as a society, as a species, is having impacts and feedbacks onto other species and then of course back onto ourselves we're in a closed system on this planet
0: and the theme of this particular podcast is agriculture so how do your studies affect the decisions that farmers and land users make so
2: for instance i have a project uh, where we're using drone technology flying over fields around edinburgh and seeing how we can measure the state of the crops at really high resolution the photos we take are sub-centimeter resolution and we're also measuring the reflectance the sort of reflected Mm colors coming off the canopy in very fine finely resolved spectra Mm -hmm. so we're sort of seeing sort of x-ray vision you know what the crops are, are, are looking like and and we're able to show that in certain wave bands there's particular information about the health of the crops and the productivity of the crops, and we're using that to inform uh, how to use satellite information better. So when I studied crops 30 years ago, technology like that wasn't even discussed or thought of. It's now, there's a real potential for our students to get involved, to fly drones, to to do experiments and interpret the satellite data that Mm -hmm. sits over those experiments. So we're trying to work with farmers to better understand what drives variability in yield, and how we can help use technology.
0: I'm sure that's something farmers are very receptive to. Mm. Anything that makes their farm more productive, Mm -hmm. they're not going to turn that down, Mm -hmm. are they? Mm -hmm. Do they understand the technology or is that not really important?
2: I mean, what I understand about farming, I'm not a farmer, but when I talk to farmers is they do about 10 different jobs in a single day, right? You know, running a business, managing the grants, uh, legislation, uh, dealing with all their contractors, and so much of this is contracted out now. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, don't, you don't have lots of people working on a farm, you might just have one person mm-hmm. bringing in people. So um, there's a lot more technology firms involved now in thinking how they can inform and support farmers so they don't have to be technology experts, but can take advantage of technology. Mm-hmm. So um, as a scientist, we're talking more and more with businesses about how we can help support farmers and growers Mm -hmm. um and that we're still in the learning area yeah i mean what we the scientific questions that get us excited aren't necessarily going to help farmers make better decisions Mm -hmm. and so working with entrepreneurs and businesses can help us figure out what, what's going to help farmers and what's the level of detail they need.
0: Yeah. And how expensive is it? Because I, I imagine a drone in itself is not particularly expensive, but maybe using a satellite image is a bit more expensive.
2: Or how does it compare? Well, it can be cheaper, actually, because a lot of satellite data is free. Oh, OK. Yeah. If you think of the Copernicus uh, satellites that the European Space Agency and the European Union have funded, they provide free information. The difficulty of the farmer is when does he get time? He or she get time to download the data and analyse it. So you've got to turn that data into information, mm-hmm. and that's what—that's where researchers at the University of Edinburgh we sit often in that position, which is how can we turn a stream of numbers from a satellite, which are seemingly meaningless bits of the electromagnetic spectrum, <laughs> uh, into crop yield. And so there, there's the role for us. Yeah. But also we need to work with businesses who can make that information operational and provide it to farmers at a reasonable price and mm-hmm. you know, quality control and so on.
0: And does that exist yet or is it all quite new?
2: It's new. There are businesses in that area. businesses we're talking to. Um, but it's, a, it's an area for a lot of active work, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah.
0: It's quite exciting, though. If you're thinking about people wondering what they want to study or where they want to go to study it, this must be really inspiring for people.
2: Yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, um, one thing we have to help students with is to see beyond the course and to realise that there's, a, there's lots of projects that they can get involved in. There's work outside of their coursework. And I think that's a real advantage where students come to us and want to learn more. And I think that's the excitement of being at Edinburgh is there's lots of research going on. Yeah. Uh, Lots
0: of real-world applications. Real-world
2: real applications and the potential to do internships with the companies we work with, to do projects with them. So that that's that's a really exciting opportunity, mm. and we, we really encourage students to. to ask to do more and we'll we'd love to support them to do that well
0: i mean when you come to study and you have to get into some debt to do so you really want a job at the end of it so i imagine all these internal opportunities are well received
2: yes absolutely (laughs) yeah i was at a business this morning and i like to see various students of ours i can see them working there now excellent so it's a nice uh, nice Yeah. yeah
0: and edinburgh has this ambition of being the space data capital of europe do you think that's possible
2: um yeah, I think, I think it is. I think we have a really good array of people um, in the space side of it. So, so Earth observation, particularly, is my area, so understanding our planet. Uh, but we have great data people. Uh, we have Parallel Computing Centre here, so understanding how to manage really large amounts of data. We have lots of businesses interested, um, a lot of investment. So, yeah, it's a really exciting opportunity. Uh, the challenge we have is how to fit all these pieces together, right? We've got great science, technologists, businesses and government, who obviously in Edinburgh, the Scottish government. Um, what the opportunity we have now is to find ways to really fuse that together. And actually, students are often a great way to do that because mm-hmm. they're the people who are sitting there bouncing between all of us and carrying information i'm working with the european space agency at the moment to launch a satellite in 22 which is the biomass mission and it's um, the first forest mission that that uh, european space agency has ever launched okay it will have uh, a radar uh, sensor on it and radar is an active sensor so it sends out in a sense like a ping Mm -hmm. and it listens for the return and forests um the big dense forests that we find in uh, the equatorial band of the earth so in the Amazon the Congo equatorial Asia big stems there um if you send a current satellite radar sends a ping at them it it doesn't get back any a bigger return for a bigger denser forest because they just absorb any ping you send at them just gets absorbed in the twigs Mm. the new mission we're putting up will have a wavelength about 70 centimeters about the size of the trunks Ah. of big trees so it will scatter off the big trunks and there's never been a wavelength like this in space before so we're very excited when that launches that we'll be able to measure the density of trees at in sort of hectare small field sizes that's
0: fantastic across the
2: amazon and we'll do it every seven eight nine months still deciding on the the visit time but it will allow us to see how those change so we'll be able to see deforestation uh minor deforestation so bits where the the fire the effect of fires for instance Mm -hmm. on forest we should be able to see that Mm -hmm. and we might even be able to see regrowth
0: Matt Williams there and making quite a sobering point about the fact there are no pristine ecosystems in the world anymore. Are there? There must be one or two.
1: Well, I I think we have this idealised and slightly romanticised notion of there being a pristine wilderness somewhere off in the world that the, the bold explorer will go and find. But increasingly, evidence from around the world shows that humans have had an extraordinary impact, whether that's looking at rainforests in South America, which actually reveal that there's pottery and layers of ash showing human impacts going back hundreds if not thousands of years right through to the traces of chemicals in the polar regions. so unfortunately that does seem to be the case that we've had a very very uh, severe impact on the planet over a uh, over a long time period
0: yeah uh, there's no escaping us we're a bit like a virus this human race Not to speak about viruses too much at the moment. Let's
1: let's not go down the virus route. I'm not misanthropic, but I don't think it'd be revolutionary to say that we have to live within planetary limits.
0: I agree with you. And I think what's very cool is that we're using satellites and space to give us an idea of how Earth can continue on in a sustainable manner. And the next person we're going to speak to on this podcast is Sarah Middlemas from Ecometrica, because they're taking a lot of this information and putting it in a format that businesses can understand and use. And you've worked with Sarah, haven't you?
1: Yeah, Sarah's fantastic. And uh, company Ecometrica, exactly as you say, turns satellite data into applications, which helps companies to report on their impacts, but also to make better decisions. So I think that's going to be a really interesting contribution to this podcast.
0: Yep, let's hear from Sarah.
3: I'm Sarah Midlamis. I'm Space Programme Manager at Ecometrica. Ecometrics is such a cool company. I <laughs> love what you guys are doing. But explain it for people who maybe don't know you. Sure. So we are in the downstream space sector. And what we basically do is measure the health of the Earth from space. So we take satellite data, but also data from other sources, so like drones from ground stations, or just any kind of geospatial data. And we pull it together to produce actionable insights for businesses, for governments, for NGOs, anybody who really wants to kind of monitor their environmental impact or, or risk. Right. So what kind of people does Ecometrica work with? Um, It really varies. So as part of my role, I manage a project called Forest 2020, and that's working with governments and NGOs um, across six countries in the tropics to help improve national forest monitoring. But on the more commercial side, we work with sort of large agribusiness who want to monitor risks in their supply chains. So, for example, you have big buyers of cocoa or palm oil who want to understand, well, is there Am I sourcing from farms where there's been deforestation? Or is there a risk in terms of water availability for the crops that we're sourcing in the future? But it's such new technology, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, think, I guess Earth observation itself has been around for a while, but I think with the dawn of the Copernicus programme from the European Space Agency, it's meant there's been so much data available, and available for free, that the type of information that you can derive from it and the analysis you can do is just so much richer. It's more frequent, it's a, a higher resolution. So you're able to do it at much kind of, m- a much more global scale and a lot more frequently. Yeah, and Scotland's kind of leading the way in all of this, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Scotland's uh, a leader in the space sector, punching above its weight, I think, is how the Scottish government put it quite a lot. But yeah. it's, uh, I guess it's such a, a small country, we're incredibly well networked. And what I kind of love about the Scottish space sector is that you have pretty much end to end mission capability. You know, you have people like us who are working directly with end users to deliver information products. But as you go back through the cycle, you have people who are developing new sensors whether it's from the universities or actual you know companies and building the satellites like Clyde space there's soon be launch in Scotland you've got people who do the software that controls things and satellites and it's just incredible to think that such a small country and I suppose a smallish industry can actually do so much within the sector
0: yeah and Ecometrica works quite closely with the University of Edinburgh doesn't it what's that relationship like
3: yeah we do so we've, we've got quite a long history with them I guess from the very start our CEO is a graduate of University of Edinburgh, Gary Davis. Um, So it goes way back. So a lot of our employees tend to be graduates of the university, but we also do a lot of kind of R&D projects and innovation projects with the university. So the Forest 2020 project that I mentioned earlier, the university is one of our key UK partners in that. But along the way, we've done various kind of bits and bobs with them for sure.
0: What do you think the main benefit to a company is of working with a university?
3: I think it kind of varies. I think for us the talent has been incredibly important and the opportunity to have people who are just graduating or doing PhDs and master's students coming in and doing bits of research and projects that then turn into actual products for us. Um, we were part of a, a programme where we had someone who was initially funded by NERC for three months. She ended up staying for six months and we've now offered her a job and she's not the first sort of intern from the university to do that and it's because she was adding so much value because she's been working under the likes of Ed Mitchard, Ian Woodhouse, Matt Williams and you know I think the the research and the the training
0: that goes on here is just really invaluable to the sector and it's kind of world-class isn't it edinburgh's got this ambition of being the space data capital of europe do you think it could be or is it already i mean i'm maybe a little bit biased but i i say yeah sure it could
3: definitely be i think you have Um, First of all, the university with the Bay Centre and this huge kind of scientific expertise within the city. But you also have so many companies that are coming out of that. So Ecometrica is one of them. We also work closely with Carbomap, with GSI, and those are just a few. There are obviously so many other smaller ones and things, companies that we probably don't even know about that are coming out of the university or working from working with the university. Mm -hmm.
0: I think what's really cool for students now, especially when they're paying so much for their tuition, Mm -hmm. is knowing the practical application of what they 're learning mm-hmm. and it sounds like you guys are involved from quite an early stage. Is that fair to say yeah, I think so. i think it's um,
3: one of the i think the challenges that the space sector and particularly satellite manufacturers face is that it's been a very kind of technology-driven thing rather than a user-driven thing. And what we're starting to see that, you know, companies who are a bit closer to the users, like Ecometrica, is that we want to see missions designed from the user perspective. So what are the monitoring challenges that banks, that agribusiness, that governments are facing with regards to the sustainability development goals, for example? Um, and then understanding okay so what can we do with this exact with the data that we have available and then what's missing and then helping that inform the kind of innovation pipeline so that when new missions do go up they're actually filling a gap and it's not just sending stuff up for the sake of it Mm -hmm. and I think the university seems to be very well placed to support that as well from industry what we're seeing is that for a while businesses they talked about climate change and environmental issues and it it was a little bit greenwashy, I think it's fair to say, but Mm -hmm. now I think there is a real onus and there is a, a real kind of tangible risk associated to that. You know, when you're thinking about agriculture, the future performance of crops that you're buying is really heavily affected by climate change. And, you know, going back to the ground, to the farmer, that's, you know, that's someone's livelihood. And I think those risks and the challenges are so much more kind of tangible now that, there are a lot more opportunities for for graduates or just for anyone to kind of
0: work in any kind of business to help address them. Mm -hmm. And do you think specifically with space Mm -hmm. there's this kind of perception that space is about landing a man on a moon or getting into a spaceship or working for NASA. Do Mm -hmm. you think that that's changing?
3: Um, I think slowly. I think there's definitely still a bit of an education piece to do in that how much space is part of our everyday lives. I think particularly with the, the field that we work in, which is more looking at environmental monitoring, the best point that we can get to is when we almost get to a stage where people do take that information for granted, but they are using it operationally. Because one of the things that we find when we're talking to businesses is that while they want robust information and, you know, information from satellites is kind of impartial, it's unbiased to an extent they don't really care where information comes from as long as it's robust and scientifically viable and it's going to tell them some an answer to their question yeah. so i think we need to do a bit of an education piece to say well what can space do and then get to the point where that's so normalized that the space element doesn't seem quite so kind
0: of abnormal and I hate, almost hate to have to ask this question but you are a woman working in quite a male dominated industry, what's that experience like? Um, it's been interesting,
3: I think definitely you notice it when you go to events and conferences and that kind of thing, it is a lot of you know older white men on the stage typically but I would say it's definitely changing um, within our company and I can see it within the university as well, there are so many talented women coming through and while they might not always be at the top right now, it's it's definitely coming, and I think it's only going to take a few, few years.
0: Sarah's doing some great work, and also flying the flag for women in a mostly male-dominated area. So it's really great to speak to her, and we will be speaking to lots more women in the course of this podcast. And next week we're looking ahead to marine, the seas and rivers, and how space and satellite data can contribute to that kind of research.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm really looking forward to the marine one, actually, because in the same way that Edinburgh has not historically been known as a space university, it emerges that many people think that Edinburgh is not a marine science university, whereas emphatically it is. So I think obviously that's outside of the realm of our discrete podcast focusing on space and satellites, but it'd be interesting to hear from, uh, we're going to have Inkari Medina Lopez, um, a, who's using remote sensing to understand marine systems? But I think more broadly, it's interesting to make that point that Edinburgh emphatically does do marine science. So maybe maybe that's a maybe that's something to explore on another occasion. But. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing that episode anyway.
0: This is the thing with this podcast. We are uncovering so many areas that we just would love to explore in much more detail. But mainly what we're trying to do is pique the interest because there's loads of information out there. And so if Marine is your thing, then the University of Edinburgh's website has plenty of information. Murray, well done for recording under these ridiculous circumstances.
1: <laughs> it's an unusual, day, I suppose, working from home, but under a blanket, I never expected. We do we do these things for our art, I suppose.
0: We do. <laughs> are you coping okay with this uh, pandemic? What are your thoughts on
1: it? Well, thoughts are for all the frontline workers who are having to uh, get us through this, first and foremost, and for people who are being affected by it. I guess at, at, when the when the time is right, maybe the time is is right now, we have to think about the causes of this, why why this has happened. And it does seem to be the case that such diseases are transmitted uh, from wildlife populations into the human populations. At a certain point, there will be uh, a jump between the uh, species barrier. And of course, where you have this huge international trade in wildlife, then it increases the probability of such an event happening: virus crossing the uh, species barrier.
0: Yeah, Do you and, think and it's I think with a bat?
1: well, I'll, I'll wait until the definitive evidence is out. Nevertheless, I think we know that these that uh, the, the Wet markets, the international trade in species for for consumption is the is the root cause of this um of this pandemic and I think wildlife trade anyway has been an issue of conservation concern for a very very long time and if we can't get the world's attention now on this issue and and ban this trade and ban wet markets, then you know when when will it be possible we're all confined to our homes and people across the world over you know a billion people are being affected by this. we have to look at the root causes and we're talking about sustainability so the way that we relate to the rest of the natural world has to come to the fore of our attention doesn't it
0: it really does I think I'm
1: I'm interested in your perspective as well I mean I have I have my own take on it what do you think Does, does is this something that presumably this bothers you as well
0: of course it does I mean it bothers me in so many different levels I'm trying not to think about it too deeply otherwise I just wouldn't get out of my bed in the morning but I do think there's a lot of positives that will come out of this. I think we've all learned to live life differently now and we can't really go back to the way we were before. I think we've got a greater appreciation of things like community and family and our health and our services. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I can't believe the figures on pollution, the way things have improved and the waterways in Venice are clear again and simple things like that. You know, we can't yeah. ignore these things. But that's,
1: but that's, I guess, that's that's revealing the impact that we do have on the, Planet by the fact by dint of the fact we've removed our international travel and we're just probably consuming less we're seeing the end result of that so it's giving Earth I suppose a little bit of breathing space but then there's a, the direct questions about the causes of the pandemic and I'm not going to propose myself as an epidemiologist uh, or understanding exactly what's what's going on other people will, will do that research but i think that it is clear that when um, yeah, we have this increasing exposure to novel pathogens as we encroach on the world's remaining natural habitats so we clear the last forests we're going to get, be exposed to more and more of these pathogens and especially if we continue to consume these animals which are found within these environments so
0: mm-hmm. some big questions it's, it's,
1: Well, it's a big question but we're in a big big problem at the moment aren't we we are. I mean, we, we face another couple of months of lockdown so
0: Yeah, well, we'll no doubt return to this in future episodes. But for today, we will call it a day. We'll put our blankets away. And uh, if there's any more information that you require, you can drop us a line on Twitter at Murray B Collins or at Kim McAllister.
1: Thanks for listening.